Well, I hope you're doing okay. <laughs> this is the Jeff Salgado Show with my co-host, Mike Boyd. What's up? Today is Wednesday, March 18th, and we're really excited. We have an interview with Sam, Sammy Town, Sam McBride from the band Fang. Fuck yeah. So he'll be on a little bit later. So Mike. Yeah. How are you handling the possibility of being confined to your house for a unnamed amount of time? Look, I'm just going to go on record. I think this whole fiasco is fucking stupid. I really do. Um, I think I, there's more people dying from the flu than from COVID-19. Well, but public health is a serious issue. It's sure. And I, and I get that. I get that. I think here's my problem is the way people are reacting to this, to me, is way scarier than the actual fucking virus itself. The panic. The panic. The, the toilet paper. I want to I meet the person that started this toilet paper craze thing and just like... Well, that's the media. Yeah, I just want to just fucking <laughs> just kick them right in their fucking teeth. Well, it just shows you how people, they hear something, they just react. I mean, uh, and, and you know what? I just need a case. But it's fear. It's fear. Fear will drive people to that point. And, uh, One case. You're not going to get it. I'm not going to get it. Just use your hand. I, I've got a cat with long hair, long fur. I'm just going to use the cat and use wash it. Use your hand. Don't mess with the cat. Use your hand. Do the waffle stomp down the drain. <laughs> You're good. What are you worried about? So, Anyways. So stupid. It's great. It's just what we're, it's the way we have to live now. You know, you got to make do with what you got. And uh, we're all going to be fine. I still have not had one sense of panic at this whole thing. I, I'm totally fine. I think everybody should have that mentality and just relax and assess what, what's going on. We don't know. So if we don't know, we generate fear. So if you're solid inside and just relax, then you can kind of gauge on what's happening, what's going on. Nothing is permanent. So just chill out. We'll ride this out and uh, we'll be fine. Yeah. There is one positive. Yeah. Wash your hands. One positive out of all this. Waffle stomp. I don't live in Sacramento and that's where we record this. I live an hour south of Sacramento. Great. There was no fucking traffic on the way here today. There's no traffic anywhere. I know. That's the best part. <laughs> Nowhere in the world is there traffic right now. Like I got here smooth sailing for once. Yeah, we're we are living the zombie apocalypse. It's great. Yeah. I'm just, you know, every every now and then I'll be walking, I'll be out there and there's nobody around. I walk around a corner. I'm like literally waiting for a zombie to just be looking at me walking towards me cuz I've seen so many shows and movies. Yeah. But anyways, um, we're going to get to our interview. It's a pretty long one. It's a deep one. It's a very serious one. And it's a very fun one. And uh, our next guest is uh, Sam McBride. He's played in the band Fang. He's done some really cool things and some very dark things. And we're going to get into that. So uh, here we are. Sammy Town. How you doing? I'm good. What's up, Jeff? Not much. Really happy to have you on here, man. We're really excited. Um, big Fang fan. Fucking love you guys. And uh, we just uh, we want to go down your history. And um, I think the first time I remember the first time I heard you was uh, on All's Quiet on the Western Front. That compilation from it was Maximum Rock and Roll, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Tim Yohannan was running things back then, and uh, he had he had like most of the East Bay bands that were pretty much he hit up anybody you know that would that had it to 
together enough to record a song and we went in and we recorded like five songs and then submitted them and uh, Tim Yohannan picked Fun With Acid out of the out of the five uh-huh. uh, and that was that was and, and then uh, after that record came out KPFA he had a different you know he had a radio show for years on KPFA down in the Bay Area and he'd have a different band every week that he would interview that was on on the record okay and uh, and when he had when he had us on me and Tim Yohannan had already bumped heads before then because he didn't he he, uh, he thought I was too much of a a, a problem <laughs> you know <laughs> in the scene you know that I would why was that and I would uh, you know and I was dealing drugs and I was you know I don't know I was a problem child but, uh, that was when punk rock was he, dangerous right <laughs> It was very dangerous. Right, it was not like it is today. It was, it was, it was a uh, just to walk down the street. You were, you know, putting yourself in a situation. You know, if you like were literally dressed like a punk rocker and and looked that way, you you had to assume it was possibility at any moment that you would get into a fight or, or you know, at least if nothing else, get yelled at and possibly get jumped. So absolutely. Um, yeah, but Tim, he had us on the on the radio, and he was interviewing us about Fun with Acid, and and like I said, we'd already bumped heads, but I think he 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 was trying, I think, you know, and he he let us he put us on the on the record, and and he he kept implying that the song was about Vietnam, you know, like the helicopters, and <laughs> No, it's just about being fucked up. <laughs> he, he was like getting frustrated, kept trying to make it clear. Like, no, 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 that's not it. No, because he, he wanted it to match the rest of the record. Out of our minds on <laughs> that's great. So when you uh, yeah, after so, did you guys go to? Uh, but, go ahead. Well, that didn't actually make mine and Kim's relationship any better. So I'm sure. So uh, after that, was that when you guys did the uh, the Land Shark record? Yeah, that. Uh, so I'm not sure exactly when Not So Quite on the Western Front came out. I want to say maybe '82. Right. But I know that uh, that Land Shark came out in '83. Okay. And so, uh, and so I think, um, I think you know, it took a while back then, and. and to record a record in, you know, like 82, 83, even 84, it was, uh, it was unusual. You know, it wasn't like, you know, there, everyone was doing it, you know? And so it was, it was, it was, it was a big deal, you know, to actually make a record. And, uh, and I, you know, there was a lot of, there were, I don't want to say a lot of bands, but there were bands that were making records. Um, and it, it but it was, it was, it was, I don't know, it's hard to explain. It just was not that easy to make a record back then. You know, you had to figure out a way to hustle money together. And uh, and then Tom Flynn, you know, our guitar player, he just, you know, made his own label. And that's how Boner Records started. Okay. And that was because Tom lived on Bonar Street in Berkeley. So, and he's called it Boner Records. Okay. And, uh, and recorded Landshark. And we recorded... 
with uh, John Renoir, who is the uh, grandson of the famous painter. And which Renoir. Painter? Oh, okay, gotcha. And, and he had a recording studio in uh, in Berkeley back then, and uh, we recorded both uh, Land Shark and one of the Wild Things out with him. Sick. And, you know, he was just super eclectic. Uh, really, I mean, he was, he was great. You know, I love John, and we still have a relationship to this day to some degree, you know. Very sick. But uh, he, he, he recorded, and, you know, and really, we... We didn't know what we were doing, and we just fucking made it up as we, you know, as we went along. Right. Okay. When did uh, how did uh, Spun Helga spawn, so to speak? So, so we did. So Tom Flynn, the guitar player, he was he originally started Fang. He started Fang in it was I don't know seventy nine or seventy eight in Connecticut. It was a two piece noise band. Him and this guy Brian, they were in high school. And then he, uh, they put out a seven inch called Yukon Sang with the two of them. And they even toured a little bit on the East Coast. And then he graduated high school. And then Brian went to college in Texas. And Tom went to college in Chicago. But Tom lasted like three weeks in college in Chicago and said, fuck this, and, and moved to California. And ended up moving to Berkeley. And so when he got there, he started Fang back up, and he went through a couple different. Uh, he got Chris Wilson on bass, and then uh, he went through a couple different drummers, and then he found Joel Fox as a drummer, and Joel was my best friend back then, and so Joel and I kind of came as a package deal, and so that's how Fang became the you know the four piece band that it was on where the wild things are and Land Shark and the early recordings. So we did Landshark, then we did, in 84, we put out Where the Wild Things Are, and then, uh, and we we started touring a bunch, but then, uh, I think because Tom is a more, uh, he's a more reserved fellow than I was, and so I think that there were a lot of reasons why Tom ended up quitting. He, Tom quit Fang, and, um, and so the band actually broke up okay. when Tom quit. He's okay. like, I can't do this anymore. And, uh, and I think it was, there was just a lot of chaos, uh, around my, you know, around me, uh, that he, you know, it was, it was a lot for him. You know, I was, uh, I'd already been, uh, dealing drugs for years. Uh, you know, I was a heroin addict, uh, you know, and, uh, completely out of my mind and I was living with Tom half the time and you know I think it was just this whole world that he uh, it was it was a lot for him to you know and so I think he finally was like dude I just can't do this anymore so he uh, he quit and then the band broke up and uh, I don't know maybe a few months went by and I, I was talking to Chris Wilson the bass player and our drummer Tim and, you know, we're like, well, we don't, we want to keep doing this. So I went back to Tom and I said, hey, you know, can we take the name and, and just keep going? You know, we'd rather you are with us, but if you don't want to do this, we still want to. And he's like, yeah, that's fine. Go ahead. So, uh, so we got a, a new guitar player and, and started playing and, uh, and then, 
19 and I decided that we needed to go to Europe. So that was in 85, I think I turned 20 in, in Germany. So we first went to England, we tried to get it together there and, uh, and it was, it was, you know, it was, I, I was always, I always dealt acid back then. And so I smuggled like 10,000 hits of acid to England with us. And, uh, and I was selling acid over there, but it was just, there was no punk rock happening really in England in 85, like the thing that peaked and there were hardly any places to play at that time. Right. So I was making some money over there, but I, it was super sketchy too. Like I didn't, you know, and so we bounced over to Germany and uh, in Germany, things were really popping. You know, it was really happening. Uh, there was a lot going on. And um, so we ended up staying. So we lived in Germany um, and and we recorded Spun Helga in a studio in Germany, made a lot of friends. And we actually, that guy that we recorded Spun Helga with, he was uh, Boy George's sound guy. And he had a recording studio in Bremen. And so we met him and uh, recorded uh, Spun Helga there. So is, then, is National Trust a German label? No, so uh, so National Trust, yes, is that's that was a, a German label. And it did come out in America. Uh, no, National Trust was the American label. It came out in National Trust. And it also came out in in. Europe on We Bite Records. They okay. put it out. Gotcha. And uh, National Trust was actually a Huntington Beach label. And Tom Flynn, when I got back, uh, Boner Records was going, and I, I, I asked if Boner Records wanted to put it out, and Tom Flynn didn't like it. So he said no. He didn't want to put it out. <laughs> so then I just started hitting people up, and finally National Trust uh, put it out. And they were uh, this little label out of Huntington Beach, and they put out uh, The Vandals, you know, when Steve was still in the van. That's right. Uh, yep. And MIA, and they, they had a cool roster. Right, I remember you know, that. back then. And uh, so cool bands, and you know, I was like friends with Steve Maybe it was Steve who was the one who said, hey, go ahead up, keep National Trust, trust when you put it out. Okay. So, so they put it out, um, and then we went back, uh, back to Germany and recorded our fourth record uh, Amigas Fafas uh, in the same studio what does that mean uh, so that is Slovenian for uh, for uh, give me head <laughs> and so so we so, so we had played in uh, in Yugoslavia and it was still a communist country at that time this is before the Berlin Wall fell and it was uh, really hard to get into, you know, any communist countries. But uh, the people that were booking us in Europe, they had an end there, so they got us permission to go and play in Yugoslavia, which was one of the um, more liberal of the communist countries at that time. And so we we go to Ljubljana, and and uh, we have a show lined up, and we have a radio interview. And so when we go to do the radio interview before the interview. I, I asked the DJ, I'm like, look, you know, um, are there any things that we can't say on the radio? And he's like, well, what do you mean? I'm like, well, you know, in America, you can't say fuck or shit or, you know, uh, blow job or, you know, uh, kind of 
lingus or anything like that, you know, and, and, and he's like, well, no, that doesn't matter. He goes, but because you can't talk about politics at all. I'm like, oh, okay, that's no problem. So I had, you know, usually when I go to a new country, uh, you know, there's a new language, I would, I would ask all the, you know, like how to, all the, how to, how to say all the swear words. Always. So I had crib notes, you know, like Yeti says, fuck off in Slovenian. Yeti say, peace guys, fuck off, asshole. You know, and so the guy starts interviewing us and I'm just like spouting off all this Slovenian swear words on the radio. <laughs> you know? And he, and we had recorded this record, but we actually didn't have a name for it yet. And so when he asked us what the name of the record was, I just went down the list and I said, Amiga Safas, which is, you know, give me head. <laughs> and uh, so <laughs> by the time the radio interview's over, he's like, oh my God, I'm going to get fired. But, you know, <laughs> when it came time to actually name the record, uh, we decided since we'd said that on, you know, Slovenian radio, we were just going to run with it. And then we didn't tell anybody uh, what it meant for years. You know, like we just, you know, because uh, on the back it actually says, get nothing and like it. So the question is, Amiga Svafas, and, um, and the answer is, get nothing and like it. Right. Um, but we just, yeah, that was the story of why we named it that. And it was a long, it was years before we actually told anybody what it meant. That rules. That's awesome. Yeah. So um, did you guys do Pissed Off Buddha shortly after that? Or was it a while? And so, no, it was so... Uh, we did, let's see, so Amiga Starfrost actually came out, um, Boner Records did put that record out, Tom liked that record, and so that came out, I don't know, I want to say maybe 87, so maybe, um, so then we were supposed to go back to Germany in 88, and we had another tour lined up, and we uh, were going to record again with Yorkima, the same studio, because he was he was really good and he was he, he gave us really good deals, and we had it all lined up to go. And about a couple days before we were supposed to to leave, uh, my girlfriend in Germany, this woman Astrid, um, who she'd been my girlfriend off and on, and she was dealing for me in Germany. She, uh, you know, like I would just send her acid in the mail. And she was dealing acid for me in Germany for a long time. And uh, she got busted. Oof. And so I got a phone call that her roommate, uh, they busted them both. They raided their apartment, busted them both. And her roommate had given me up saying, well, look, all the drugs came from uh, this guy, Sammy, from America. And so I got a phone call days before we were supposed to get on a plane saying, you're wanted, they know you're coming, uh, and if you, you know, if you show up, you're going to prison in Germany. Wow. And so, um, so we didn't, so I didn't go. Uh, Obviously. <laughs> uh, yeah, we, uh, we decided at that point we were gonna, um, you know, we had to refigure things out. I, I was getting pretty fucked up at that point too. The band was getting kind of, they were getting tired of me because I was, off and on strung out and but we recorded so we changed gears and we recorded pissed off buddha in uh in san francisco at tom mallon studio 
record, I mean, I know we, we actually, we put it out, you know, I mean, I, it finally was released many, many years later. Right. But uh, I had always planned to go back and redo the vocals on a lot of the songs. Like, the music was solid, uh, but it was never really mixed. What we released was, you know, just rough mixes. Um, and I tried to bake the tapes and and I was going to go back in the studio and redo it, but then it it, it didn't work on half of them, and we just had to release what what we had. So there was a lot of things on that record that if I had have had to, that I tried to you know to redo, like actually mix it correctly, redo a lot of the vocals. So it was super strung out when we when we recorded it, and a lot of them were just you know they just needed to be redone. Um, speaking of speaking of being you know fucked up on drugs, were you fucked up when you wrote um, "Destroy the Handicap" because that's like one of my favorite songs. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I don't, uh, I don't even uh, remember specifically if I was. I mean, I was half the time loaded on something, you know. So it, it is possible that I was fucked up. That song rules. I, mean, I was also you know like sixteen year old kid, you know, as right. well. So you know that's. You know, this snotty little sixteen-year-old kid, and so, um, and you know, and it was also very tongue-in-cheek because totally. uh, Berkeley was a super uh, progressive as far as you know, like Berkeley's one of the first cities to put handicap ramps on on sidewalks. Oh wow! You know, and so there was like a huge population of handicapped people, you know, uh, in Berkeley, and you know, it would go to shows, and you know, and so it was just, I mean, it was the most retarded thing I could think of, you know, and, and it just, uh, uh, I mean, I had, I had this one kid who had cerebral palsy, uh, and he would always come up and sing with me. It was great. Oh, that's awesome. It's <laughs> totally yeah. rad. So, uh, at, at this point, what happened after, uh, you recorded, um, pissed off Buddha? So after I recorded pissed off Buddha was when things got really, you know, super fucked off. And then I ended up going to prison for a long time. What'd you go to prison for? So in '89, uh, I was. Uh, we recorded in '88. 80, by the time I was, by the time '89 rolled around, the the band had basically walked away from me okay. uh, because I was too. Uh, I was too fucked up, you know. Like I was, all I did was deal drugs and heroin. Sure. And they just couldn't deal with it anymore. Everybody in the scene knew I was a junkie. It was, you know, I couldn't be trusted. I was, um, so I, I, you know, was assuming at some point too, I was probably going to go to jail, you know, like the Interpol would come get me. And, uh, so what happened was that my, I had a girlfriend from the East coast and she was, um, my best customer on the East coast. And uh, she ended up moving to California and she was my, she became my business partner. And so, um, we were still, uh, uh, we were still making a lot of money, but she became very resentful uh, towards me because I was spending, you know, a, a large, large amounts of money on, you know, on heroin. And so she decided that she was going to, um, uh, move to Texas. She, had gotten together with my best customer, this guy out of Texas, and they started um, making moves behind my back. And so she was um, 
hanging out with him and they were planning on taking my business and she was going to move with him to Texas. Oh, wow. And I found, yeah, and so I found out what they were planning. Uh, this customer I had out of Salt Lake City, he actually called and said, hey, you know, uh, and I jammed him up because I knew something was going on, but I didn't know exactly what. And he ran it all down to me. He said, look, this is this is what's happening. You know, she's planning on moving to Texas and she's doing, you know, like, everyone's doing a couple more deals and then, and then they're going to take off, you know? And, uh, and I, I bailed this guy out. And so he felt like he owed it to me to let me know what was happening. Right. So, so I left, um, you know, I was on the phone with him. I left the house and, and this guy, Dana, just like this customer out of Texas, he's one of the best customers. He was at the house at the time, you know? And so I, I didn't know what to do. I left the house. I went, uh, shot a bunch of dope, uh, got and drank a bunch of whiskey, and then I came back to the house to to confront her about this. And when I came in my apartment door, uh, Dana was coming out of my bedroom, and he was pulling his boxer shorts up. They heard the car pull into the apartment, and so he was trying to get out of my bedroom before I got up there. And uh, at that point, I just I snapped and. Uh, and I tried killing both of them, and he ultimately ran out of the uh, of the apartment and got away, and she didn't get out. Right. So um, at that time, I was 24 years old, and uh, I went on the run, um, and ultimately was arrested in Anchorage, Alaska, uh, and brought back to Oakland to face 25 life from murder. Yeah, that's that's pretty dark. But um, okay, so uh, yeah. what well, you know, just as a as a twenty four year old guy, you're obviously not in your right state of mind, and uh, you know uh, that's some people have those cards dealt in their lives. And uh, how did you um, how did you go through that? I mean, I think uh, it. Uh, I think because of the. I was way when I was 15 years old. I was brought into the a, a crime family that I started dealing drugs for, right. and so um, there were certain things that you know, like I was given a gun. You know, uh, later on they gave me a motorcycle. You know, these were people that uh, uh, you know they were career uh, criminals, right, and. So when I first was arrested and first went to jail and then to prison, um, I very much had that part of my, uh, of culture that, um, that I, I don't even know how to explain it. It's, it's just, you know, like I didn't, um, you just, it's a survival culture, right? you know, and you just do what you got to do. And, um, and I really, for a few years, I can't even say I, I had a lot of remorse, honestly, for what I did, mm -hmm. you know, but, um, I had been locked up, uh, you know, and I was, 
you know, I mean, I, I, I was still doing the same things that I was doing on the streets in prison. You know, I was still uh, getting loaded. I was still dealing drugs. Uh, you know, I was still involved in, um, in a lot of bullshit that happens in prison. And um, uh, I've been down for a number of years, and, uh, and I've got married. And I was in my first conjugal visit, and I had a, a, a moment of clarity and epiphany. Um, you know, I, I realized that I, uh, I could keep doing what I'd been doing, and I would just spend the rest of my life in prison. Yeah. Or if I, if I maybe changed some things, I could actually um, maybe get out of prison. You know, and uh, and it was uh, it was very much like I I woke up a conscience inside myself. Right. You know, and then I had to really like look at what I had done. You know, and um, and uh, really try and and uh, come to terms with the guilt and the shame, you know, and the pain. Um, and you know, those things, you know, uh, 30 years later, you know, uh, still, you know, still haunt me, you know, Mm -hmm. um, the, the pain that I caused and the, the things that I've done, um, you know, it's, it's not something that goes away. Right. You know, it is, it is, it is always there. Um, but, uh, because I, I did, um, have that, that moment. Um, and, and I had a, a, a psychic change an internal change, you know, then I was able to, uh, start changing some of my behaviors and ultimately, uh, some years later, then I was able to parole and get out of prison. That's awesome. And so, um, when you were, when you were obviously getting out, was it a hard adjustment to from where you came from? And I'm not just talking about just society wise, but internally as well, right? I mean, it's it's just a total different culture because you're going into a whole different. <laughs> it was, you know, I, I had um, I had some support. You know, I was married. My wife um, and I, uh, my wife had gotten pregnant um, while we were on a conjugal visit, a different conjugal visit, you know, and so when I pulled, I had uh, a wife and my son at that point, he was like nine months old. Awesome. And, um, so, you know, I had, I had a family to go to, I had some support, but even then, uh, you know, and I, and I, I stopped getting loaded. Um, you know, I didn't drink, I didn't do drugs, uh, I didn't smoke cigarettes. I was just trying to, you know, I was super healthy. And even with, um, uh, you know, a lot going for me. You know, a lot of people get out and they don't have any kind of a support system. It, it was definitely hard. You know, right. uh, the transition, even sort of having that sort of psychic change, you know, the institutionalization, um, uh, it, it was hard to shake that, you know. Right. Yeah, it was hard to shake that for, for some time. Yeah, that was, that was about the time when I first met you. You'd just gotten out. I'd heard you gotten out. I was, uh, I'm a big fan of Fang. 
And I, I, I remember meeting you. I ran into you briefly just walking down the street. I was walking to a couple bars and I saw you at a taco stand in Sacramento and you had long hair and a handlebar mustache and straight out of Sons of Anarchy. I was like, wow, <laughs> that's Sammy. And you were you were yoked. I mean, totally yoked. And it was it was pretty cool. I was like, hey, and you were really sweet. You were like, hey, how's it doing? How's it going? And I was like, yeah, you guys playing? You're like, yeah, just hanging out. And then I, I ended up seeing you guys right after that at Slim's and it was sick. It was good to see you back on stage. And I was like, this is badass. And it was really, I was really excited that you uh, came full circle. And then later on through the years, we became friends. I remember we played with you guys another time in Sacramento and you'd ask me, you're all, you friend of Bob. And I was like, I'm trying to be, <laughs> cause I was, I was going through my demons and I, I knew you were straight. And I was like, this is awesome. Like I get to talk to this guy. He knows what's up. And I was struggling. I was really struggling at that time. I was, you know, going through my hell and, uh, you know, and everybody's hell is their own and it was brutal for me, but I remember you definitely inspired me big time. It was, it was, a, it was pretty cool to get to know you and, and know where you've been and then me going through my stuff and looking at you and we've, we've developed that kind of a friendship that you saw me when I was on both sides. And then finally, I think I got it under control. So I'm really excited, especially to have you on the show. It's, it's really awesome to hear your story, but, um, so well, it's, an, it's an honor, you know, I mean, I've all, it's, it's been great getting to know you over, over all these years. It's, it's all of a sudden it's been a long time, you know? Yeah. It's crazy. I know. I remember just meeting you and going, wow, I'm friends with Sammy. Next thing you know, it's like, oh yeah, Sam, I know him for fuck. How many years now? It's been a long time. And, uh, I remember, I remember we played a show with you guys at the, I think it was at the East Bay rats clubhouse. And that was pretty awesome. And that was our, one of, oh, yeah. yeah, that was one of our first like real shows in the Bay area in the punk scene. And it was really sick. The East Bay rats clubhouse shows used to be fucking awesome. They were, they, they, uh, they finally, I think that the clubhouses—they're not—they finally got rid of it, but they had they had some great, great fucking shows and parties there. Yeah, the boxing ring in the back—it was pretty gnarly. Yeah. So you've had a. You've had, also, go we've ahead. always had a, a, a tie to Sacramento too. You know, my uh, um, uh, my now ex-wife, but the the woman that you know, like remember my kids, the woman that uh, you know came into prison and. I was with for many years. She was from Sacramento. Right. And so, so, you know, the, and, and also just the scene back then too, we had, I, um, I was super close with the Tales of Terror guys, you know, mm -hmm. and, uh, and their guitar player trip, he was like my, uh, was my best friend. And when they were looking for a guitar player, I'm like, you guys need to, to get trip in the band. And so they they got trip in the band because I, I drug them up and I'm like you guys this is who you need for your second guitar player. So you had a you had a pretty uh, triumphant return as well. I remember uh, and you guys released uh, American Nightmare, and that was like that was pretty sick. And just to see you guys putting out shows again, touring again, it was uh, it was pretty badass. What do you, what can you tell us about your return to music? Well, I, I was I was not planning on I really was not planning on doing, you know, on playing music again, but, uh, I had, you know, done it a little bit in prison, but then like I was in Soledad and I put a punk rock band together in Soledad and Soledad was definitely not ready for punk rock. And I ended up spending five months in a hole. So <laughs> I was, I was really not planning on putting Fang back together, but, uh, uh Josh Levine, he had wing records. 
as you know, and he's, he's an old friend of mine. I've known him since we were like fourteen. Um, he as uh, a bass player, and he he really like pushed me. Like, come on, let's you know we we did a, some sort of a project. I don't, I don't remember what it was for. We wrote a song for something. You know, he, he's like, let's let's do a song. I can't remember what it was for, but it was. I think at that time it was me and Josh, and maybe it was uh, Turner from Special Forces. And we, we fucked around and um and then uh and then he just kept kept on me about it and finally he he convinced me that, that I should start doing Fang again. Fuck yeah. You know, and, and so so um and it was uh you know, I knew it would create uh controversy, you know. Um I know that like when our first show back was at uh, the Trocadero in San Francisco with the Dwarves, and you know there's a lot of people, and to this day there still still are a lot of people that um, have pretty hard opinions of me, you know, and deservedly, sure. you know. Uh, uh, but you know, we we put this show together. The, the Dwarves. I hit a black. He's like. He, you know, he's like, you guys want to, are going to play again, then we'll totally take the heat and you can play with us, you know? So it was uh, the tours and Fang and the Trocadero. And um, so uh, the show sold out and um, I get there and uh, George was the promoter and he like grabs me and drags me up to his office and he's like, he's like bro, we've had 10 called in death threats. Oh, wow. You know? And he goes, you know, like, this is, like, it's not like one. He said, like, we've had at least ten, you know. And he goes, I mean, we have some security. He goes, but what do you want to do? And I'm like, well, let's go to the store and find a shirt with a target on the front of it. And I'm going to put, put that shirt on that way. You know, and uh, I don't want, you know, I don't want anybody else with the pops or whatever. And uh, let's just do it. You know, he said, it's somebody... If it's if it's my time and it's gonna happen, uh, then let it be. You know, right. I'd rather see it coming. At least now I know. You know, it's crazy. <laughs> and um, you know, of course, obviously nothing did happen. Um, nobody tried to kill me, but you know, that was uh, it was dicey like that for for a while. You know, there was a lot of people that had you know real hard opinions, and even to this day, you know. Um, there, you know, we we don't get booked uh, at places because of my history and my past. What I've done, sure. Uh, and people have, you know, it, it can definitely polarize conversations. You know, um, for me, what uh, what I wish would happen more was if people have um, opinions or or have something to say. Uh, you know, let's sit down and talk about it. Right. You know, and. Uh, and I'm not, you know, trying to change anybody's mind. I'm not asking, you know, uh, but but I am at least saying let's 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 have a discussion about, you know, what what it means to um, do something horribly wrong, um, and and then where do you go from there? You know, uh, what do you do? You know, and, and what's what's the expectation? You know, and and it is for is there forgiveness? Right. You know, should there be? You know. Um, uh, I'm willing to sit down and have hard conversations with people. Those, those are some pretty, Most of the time, it doesn't happen, though. 
those are some you pretty know, excellent tools that you've learned though i'll give you that you know because yeah, people don't people don't want to want to talk about things they just want to hold on to whatever belief system and, and maybe not try and explore other ideas which is unfortunate i think especially in the punk rock scene I, I think that's across the board at this point with social media. <laughs> no, nobody wants to talk about anything. They just want to fight. And it's just, and it goes about, it's to anybody. You don't have to be in a punk rock to get online and see the fighting that's going on all the time. And it's just, you're right. I mean, if people would just sit down and respectfully talk and in the way they are with social media is, you know, you're not sitting face to face. Everybody's brave all of a sudden. And I, I, I agree. Right. With, and, and nobody's, nobody's actually having like, deep hard discussions like you said face to face where where maybe they can see things from a different perspective exactly you know? right and uh you know i i, I remember seeing how quickly i mean in, in my in our point of view well you know because i've always been a fan of the band and i understand i i'm very uh, understanding of hard life and 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 how people go through it and i i always admire the people that get through it as opposed to the people that let it take them you know and then you're dead like i said it's an inspiration to a lot of people if you look at it from a neutral perspective that's the main thing that i see and it, it's really amazing how far you've come with your life and and the message you've sent and i i've seen you in a couple of interviews you've, you've you've told your story a couple of times so it's out there and and you're being as as honest as possible and once you're that honest you know anybody's opinion about you at that point is theirs it's their emotion you can't control their the way they feel you can only control the way you feel right and and i think it you know and that and that's a well i'm just saying that's a that's a really cool thing of of you know how you've owned everything you can i mean what do you what can you do after that right you can't do anything else you can't change the past but you can grow from it i've I, every time I've ever hung out with you, it's been solid as hell. I love hanging out with you, seeing your band. You guys are great, and uh, you've you've done more records as well, right? Oh yeah, no, we did. So after after I got out, we did American Nightmare, and uh, I, I still I love that record that was on Wingnut Records, and that was like a lot of those songs, most of those songs, the the uh, were you know were written while I was in prison. At least the the lyrics were. Sure. Uh, some of the music, um, uh, you know, we, we created, like, they were from songs that I've written while in prison, and um, they, uh, recording that record, uh, it that record kind of never really came out because uh, Wingnut Records, right when that record was coming out, uh, went under. And so when, when that record kind of came out, it actually really never, like, really never hit stories. Right. So it was, by the time uh, the records and the, the cassette tapes, because we had records, cassettes, and CDs were shipped, uh, Wingnut Records actually went under, and so it, it sort of was never released. Uh, I don't even know how many, I don't know how many Josh made originally, but everything, whatever he made originally, that first run, that's all there ever was. Okay. You know, it was never repressed, never re-released, um, and which um, which was kind of a bummer for me because I, I you know, I really, I, I really liked that record, and it it, it was uh, there was a lot of songs that were uh, super representative of, of the times and and, and the place um, and things that were going on. But we we 
American Nightmare, and then we um, we didn't put out anything else for a while. We did uh, we did uh, a three a three way split maybe a couple years after American Nightmare came out, and it was Jim Martin from Faith No More had he quit Faith No More in, I don't know, maybe 98, 99, and he started playing guitar and sang. Um, and so it was me and Jim, and, and uh, we had a different bass player. Josh had quit, and when that fell apart, he kind of just, he left California. He had a couple different drummers, but we went and recorded four songs, uh, and it was on a three-way split with Dr. No, and sang Dr. No and his band from Texas called The Hellions. Brandon. And um, and that was uh, that was a, a three way split CD called Fish and Vegetables, and we did uh, we did a couple of other recordings just like <laughs> one offs that you know one of the compilation records uh, did like a couple class tribute CDs with other bands, and then we didn't put out anything for quite a long time until uh, we recorded. Uh, here come the cops. Sick. And it was um, we hadn't done a record, and and I don't know I don't know why I hadn't done a record in a long time. But finally, um, I don't know. I just felt like you know we haven't recorded anything new in a long fucking time. Let's let's write a record. And I had a um, I put together a, a pretty tight band at that point. You know, like the thing it had its ups and downs. You know, intervening years. Uh, but everybody had their shit together. I had a really tight band, and so we we recorded "Here Come the Cops," and I think that came out in let's say 2012, maybe it was 2010. Um, but we that record came out. We started touring a bunch, uh, and then we recorded uh, "Rise Up," which came out in 2017 or 2018. I know that the the That's on uh, Dave Dalton's label, right? Yeah, that's on... Uh, and that's the label we're on now, is Die Laughing Records. Hell yeah, sick. They've been, yeah, they've been super supportive. Um, they just made a deal with Golden Robot out of Australia, so they had always been big plans to go to Australia in November, but now with uh, the coronavirus, uh, that may be pushed back to 2021. No, but we're definitely, we're definitely going to Australia. Good. Uh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's it's, yeah. it's a bummer, man. Everybody's going through it. Every, I, I just every time I look at or talk to anybody that's touring, they're just like, nope, we're grounded. Everybody, it's crazy. I'm just yeah, I'm still trying to wrap my head around this whole thing. I, I mean, I've never seen anything like it in my lifetime. Nope. You know, I've, uh, I mean, every show that we have, for the most part, you know, as far as I'm, it's probably canceled. You know, we're supposed to play with violence and. Uh, Oakland at the Metro next month. <clears throat> I'm super stoked on that show. You know, it's talk about like old, you know, Bay Area punk metal. Fucking, that's you know, Violence and Fang at the Metro is going to be rad. But I have a feeling that you know, that's definitely canceled at this point. I have my tickets um, too. I'm like, fuck. <laughs> I do. I have, I have two tickets. I'm like, God damn it. And we we played with them last year when they first came back. We played the second day, and it was, dude, it was 
unreal. I was like, wow. Um, was, yeah, I'm like super fucking, and, and you know, it was really rad too because they, they hit us up, you know, they're like, yep. hey, Hell yeah. We're doing, uh, we're playing the Metro. Would you guys, uh, would you guys like to play Metro? Yeah, are you kidding? That'd be awesome. Yeah, you can't, you, know you can't get a better lineup with violence and fang, dude. Like, that is just mind-blowing. Yeah, that was one thing about the East Bay, you know, is that as far as I'm concerned, the East Bay had one of the earliest crossover scenes. If not know, the, uh, the uh, earliest. I would say the earliest. between the you know punk rockers and and metalheads but you know in the in the east bay you know we grew up with exodus and fucking testament and you know uh metallica and you know we all got loaded together party together you know we all fuck you know uh, we were all underage at Ruthie's in together you know did you uh, did you see metallica playing uh when the money rolls in did I see what's that? I saw a video of Metallica playing uh, When the Money Will Roll In. Oh, uh, I never saw them play it. You know, they put out the, when they re-released the, their, uh, they, they put it out on, on a record not that long ago. Yeah, they, they, they have a video of them, like, recording that. It's sick. No, I haven't seen that, you know. Yeah, it's just to check I, that I, out. I've heard it, and they, they, they never released it back then, and there's no vocals on it either. Right, right, right. Um, because it, they just, I think that they, they felt that it, it, it didn't, it didn't work right or at the time. I don't know, you know. But I mean, that was we all hung out together, we all ran together, and that was. Um, I mean, I, I think that it's there. There were. Um, I to me, I really think that it was probably, in my experience, one of the earliest crossover scenes like that. Where, you know, we play with Sacrilege, or you know, we play with. Exodus, or you know, it was just exactly. a lot of crossover because of Wes Robinson, really, and Ruthie's End. You know, I was a huge Sacrilege BC fan. That's a, one of the most underrated, badass thrash bands of all time. They were sick. Yeah, and I, and I wish, I wish they would get back together. It was to do, uh, you know, I love those guys. I, mean, I know, you know that. Um, yeah, guys, you know, I've brought it up to Gary a couple times. He's like, man, <laughs> but uh, I, you know, I. Talked to Streffen, he's like, yeah, it's just, it's not going to happen, but it's too bad because they were so fucking great. Yep. We played a sacrilege a bunch. Super fast, tight, just brutal, and it, it's just the epitome of Bay Area thrash. I mean, I remember, like, mm-hmm. driving up from Salinas to see them at, like, the Full Moon Saloon, and there was, like, 12 people there, and they still slayed. I was like, yes, yeah, it's totally worth it. Right, so their, uh, their guitar player, Gary Wendt, using the ghost next door now and right. his older sister was one of my best friends and if you look on the back of Landshark it says Mary Beth went to the bank for her money we give our thanks right and that's Gary's older sister that's Mary awesome. Beth that we thanked on the back of Landshark because she threw in some money on uh, on the recording and so I've known Gary since he was like you know 10 or whatever like a little kid and Tom Flynn actually gave Gary guitar lessons when he was really young too. So Super that's cool. That's why there was always a really close connection with Sacrilege for me. For sure. So are you are you still in Oakland or where you at now? So I live down in Long Beach now. I moved down to Long Beach about nine months ago. 
Um, I had a sober house for men in Oakland for many years, but finally I closed that and uh, I moved down here and I, I work in a, a residential detox uh, drug and alcohol treatment center called Transformations Care. It's in Gardena. That's very and, cool. Uh, Super cool. Yeah. But I, uh, I moved down here to, to work uh, in drug treatment. Like I said, I had a sober house from then, but this is sort of more uh, front line, you know, uh, people coming in off the streets. Uh, sure. Kicking, kicking, you know. Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's, it's definitely um, uh, more front line work. You know, and that, that I can deal with. Um, it, it's uh, it's uh, the best use of, of my my history, I uh, guess you could say. Absolutely, uh, yeah. I, I, I certainly can relate. You know, and um, and the people that that you know I work with, you know, they know uh, that I'm not full of shit. You know, they know that that you know. I mean, I started shooting dope when I was 14 years old, and you know. They know that uh, if I'm telling them something, I'm just telling them because it's it's real. I've been there, and uh, and the only reason I'm, I'm you know doing it is just to try and help. How much? Uh, uh, I mean, ulterior motives. If you don't mind me asking, how much clean time do you have? So I have uh, 12 years. I had six. I went out for a while, and I and I've been back now for 12 years. That's amazing, dude. So, Fucking awesome. Yeah, I got sober. Uh, last time clean October 25th 2007 wow that's amazing you got a uh, you got 11 years on me but <laughs> no I'm, I'm I think I'm at I'm at four years so I think that yeah you have I know yeah you got you, you got some years now yourself yeah I mean yeah. I remember I was I was struggling for a while I would I'd be cool for a while I'd be like yeah I'm like eight months man I'm great and the next thing you know I'm like oh, hey what's up bro I'm wasted <laughs> like it just you know it's a, it's a struggle but I, I think I got it now I, I really got a hold on this thing and I to me personally it's worth more than anything that is my life now it's uh it's given me a life compared to being out there and you know what that's like it's well just, that's the way it is for and you know like not everybody is an alcoholic I drug act i know i got a lot of friends i know a lot of people and they and they can party and have a good life that's just not me <laughs> right I don't, I don't have a stop button you know and so um the uh for the people that are alcoholics and drug addicts you know it really fucks their lives up and so uh for me i know that like the last couple of records a lot of the shit that it you know we've toured a shit ton uh, especially in the last, you know, I don't know, eight years. Um, and none of that ever would have happened. Uh, well, if, if I stay getting loaded, I just, I would have either died or been, you know, I'd be back in prison. Sure. You know, um, there's no doubt in my mind about that. But, you know, certainly by not being loaded, you know, I've been able to put out records, put out records I, I put a lot of time and thought and energy into that I'm really happy with. I toured. You know, we've been in the last, uh, I don't know, eight years, we've been to Brazil, uh, Cuba, Mexico a couple times, Europe, Japan, um, you know, uh, all over the U.S. And none of that would have fucking happened if I was getting loaded. Fuck yeah. So impressive, dude. It's insa it's insane how, how far you've come. I mean, it, it really is. And yeah. I just I can't commend you enough on how great uh, that is. I feel very fucking, very fucking lucky. You know, very 
for sure. Uh, that I've been able to 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 continue to play music, um, you know, and 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 travel and tour like that, you know, like it's it uh, it's certainly more than I deserve. You know? Sure, you can look at it that way, but uh, hey, you know, I mean, once you. Uh, absolve yourself of shame and guilt i mean you, the sky's the limit at that point you know i mean it's always going to be there but it's what you focus on right if you focus on the positive side it'll come to you eventually well it definitely you know everything takes work you know i mean uh it is harder uh being in a band now than it used to be you know as far as i mean there, there are a lot a lot of bands you know there's right way more competition than there used to be there's not nearly the kind of support there there was you mm-hmm. know and um you know as a, as a band we don't make you know we don't make you know we all have we all have day jobs you know i mean like i said i work in drug treatment for you know and i don't make a whole lot of money you know and uh you know uh, we do it you know out of love you know because we we love to do it you know and uh when you get a bunch of you know guys my age or i mean they're not quite as old as i am most of the guys but you know to just like take off for three weeks you know and you know come back maybe with a little bit of money in our pockets maybe just breaking even you know it's hard you know that's right you know how to find you know three or four guys that will that can do that as well, you know, and, uh, and so I, I definitely feel grateful that I, I have a, a crew that, you know, that is able to, you know, it's like, okay, let's, let's go out on the road for two, three weeks, you know, and they, everybody figures out a way to make it work. So who's your, uh, who's your current lineup? So current lineup is, uh, got Brandon, the one-legged bass player, um, and, uh, Obadiah, he's a guitar player. Tommy, the other guitar player, and uh, Mike eighty six on drums. Nice. And Mike's the Mike's the newest guy. Uh, he's been playing now with us for uh, I don't know. I think this is probably coming up almost two years now. Cool. How's that? Everything's working out good. Yeah, I mean it's hard now. I moved down to Long Beach, so and you know we we want to start writing another record. Um, but also Obadiah, he lives in Monterey, Mexico now. And so with us being spread out like this, it's definitely been hard to write because we, we want to write a follow-up record to rise up. Right. And, um, and that record took, that record took two years to write and it's only like eight songs, you know, like I, it was, uh, a very involved process. And so I've, hoping that we can, uh, we're supposed to actually get together the next couple of weeks and supposed to come up and, um, I, I'd really like to really focus, especially now without, you know, I think everybody's going to be sort of, nobody can tour. So I have a feeling everybody's going to be like going into the studio and, and working on writing. So I have a feeling like 2021, you're going to see everybody release a new <laughs> fucking record. <you> know? <laughs> You know, as soon as, soon as this uh, thing gets over with, we're dumping ours as fast as we can. I mean, we it's taken us a while, but I'm like, you know what? I'm done waiting. Let's get this thing out because I don't want it to just stop. I mean, everything's like stopped right now. Like the record's just and like the whole everybody's life is just stopped. We're like in some quantum realm of pause. 
and it sucks. Yeah, right, right. So yeah, if you've got one in the can, now is a great time to get it out because everybody's <laughs> got time to sit around and listen to. <laughs> right, I'm just like, what the hell? And uh, yeah, it's a it's a really interesting time that we're in right now, and that's why I'm really glad to have you because uh, I was like telling Mike, I was like, let's just let him talk for as long as he wants because people aren't going to do anything but be sitting around doing nothing. You know, so because we usually trapped by the coronavirus. Oh man, the coronavirus! I I I put up a post on my Facebook and it showed all the, uh, the um, the 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 seriousnesses and the deaths that are associated with each pandemic and the coronavirus is literally like the microscopic one, and I'm just shaking my head like. In comparison, I I mean that's you know that that I think the uh, the interesting thing is is that the the truth about the deaths is is um, what people are failing to see is that truth or not, the the fear and the conditions uh, are real. Yes, you know that that in other words, we are uh, you know locked down. You know, like right. the Bay Area right now is you know shelter in place. So it's uh, it is. I mean, I've, in my like I said, in my lifetime, I've never experienced anything like this. I don't think anybody has. No. You know, and so um, the, it's interesting how um, uh, the fear around it, whether it, it, it to me, it's become uh, immaterial about how bad or or not bad it is, because the reality is we're still locked in our houses. Right. You know that the reality is the uh, you can get a ticket for roaming around in the Bay Area from what I hear now. Okay. Wow. You know, that's crazy. Right. You know, that there's some weird, like, martial law shit going on, and, you know, that's... It is... uh, It's, you know, it's a weird zombie apocalypse that nobody saw coming like this. Yeah, it's Walking Dead for sure. We're already here. Yeah. You know, I, I, I drive a truck in the, in the daytime, and I'm driving around, and it looks like The Walking Dead. I mean, there's certain roads I go down where there's nobody around. I mean, it's creepy out there because I'm a supplier, so they're telling me, you know, oh, you're essential vodka. And I'm like, all right, cool, whatever. <laughs> so I got I to gotta get these things to the stores, and it's just it's super creepy out there. And the people, like, lined up around the stores with their Face masks, face masks on, you know, like the, the, the whatever, right, 3M. Right. No, yeah, I'm just like, very, it is creepy. Very bizarre, yeah, you know. Straight as uh, um, The Stand or whatever, people, Stephen King novel. Uh, right, it is like a Stephen King novel. Like, people, like, fucking pitched battles in grocery stores over fucking toilet paper. I mean, oh, that's know? right, I saw that. <laughs> You can't write this shit. It's too weird. You know? yeah, dude. It's everything that we've seen in movies, but now it's real. And you're like, wow, <laughs> it's crazy. I mean, and, and you know, it's, it's, it's gnarly. Cause everybody's like, well, you know, at least you get to work. But as a worker, we are beyond slammed. I mean, it's crazy how buried we are. It's unreal. And I'm just like, yeah, I, I mean, I, in, in my industry, since it's a, uh, it's, you know, a medical facility. Yeah. Uh, you know, we don't shut down. You know, we, we, it's 24-7 care. So, um, you know, no matter what happens, I still have to go to work. Right. You know, and, uh, and, and that, that's been, 
that's also weird, you know, because uh, the, and, and I've been curious as to how it's going to affect the um, things in, in, as far as in drug treatment and also just in, in drug addiction, you know, because as borders close, I wonder if, you know, nobody remembers, nobody, not that many people remember, you know, like in the, in the seventies, um, maybe into the eighties a little bit too, there were drug shortages, you know? Um, but you know, like there was a movie panic in needle park. And in that movie, they were talking about how, like, you know, there was a, a heroin shortage in New York. Right. Well, so all the junkies freak the fuck out, you know? And, uh, but that hasn't happened you know, like, because drugs are so prevalent, they come in from everywhere. Um, like, the, the drug addicts today have never had to experience, like, a shortage of drugs. Right. And that, so, and that could be, like, just a matter of... I also wonder if, yeah. you know, like, as the, the borders get tighter and, as you know, um, with, you know, fentanyl coming from China and, and them restricting, you know, uh, things coming in from... If, if there's there are going to be like massive drug shortages too. We're gonna see a, a, a yeah, we'll see a real zombie apocalypse. Right. Uh, so so it could. I mean, I I you know I'm assuming uh, on many many different levels uh, things are gonna get weirder before they before they normalize. Yes. You know? Yeah. And I I don't necessarily think they have to to be violent or are desperate. I mean, I think if everybody just relaxes first and figures things out and just be patient, you know, because realistically, you know, we're, we're kind of, we're pinned down, you know, we don't know what's going to happen. We, it could be fine. It could be a nightmare as, as far as my reality, I just kind of want to relax and just see what happens. I mean, it's, it's definitely interesting. Everybody on the planet is talking about this right now. <laughs> it's not just a oh, virus. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So it's, it's not something, no, no, you know, like you said, everybody on the planet is talking about this. Right. That's true. It's, it's crazy. Yeah. And what we're going to see and what's going to happen, it all remains to be seen. I'm sure it'll be revealed sooner or later. It could be great. could be bad. Never know. I just hope I'm not sick. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to be sick. Uh, you're you're young. You'll be all right. You know. I think. Uh, you know. Like you know, I had a really really fucked up flu uh, a couple weeks ago. It was nasty. And then all of a sudden they're talking about this virus. I'm like, man, I already had that thing. <laughs> yeah, like, cause it was bad. It was so bad. I, you're I, like, oh, I've been there, done that. Whatever. Yeah, exactly. And I, and I I grew up a pretty sickly kid. Like I I had really bad asthma my whole life until I got it under control when I. You know, I got a, a decent job and got some uh, medical insurance, so I was able to maintain my asthma because it was out of control. It was sick, and then oh, and doing drugs on top of that. Yeah, good job, good smart right. smart move. Right. And so uh, <laughs> I, I was I was able to get it under control, and now I'm 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 yeah, you're right. I'm pretty strong. I'm I'm really big and strong and tough and you know sexy and for sure. My my producer's rolling his eyes right now. He's like, oh my god. I'm editing that out. <laughs> Jeff overcompensated. You know, he's like, I won't be a sickly kid anymore. Right. Yeah. Oh, totally. I was a, I was pathetic. You know, back in back in the days when I was going to shows at the farm and the Mabuhe, I've seen myself in a couple of those videos, and I'm a rail dude. I'm about maybe a buck fifty wet with boots on. We all were 
fucking little, you know, we all were like super <laughs> skinny little yeah. fucking kids, you know? <laughs> totally. I mean, there, there wasn't just you, that was like all of us. <laughs> yeah, dude, we were all rails back then, and now we're just like, man, these guts just won't go away to save our lives. They just right, don't no. want to go. <laughs> There's a, a book that came out just recently. I haven't gotten the book yet, but I started seeing pictures. It's uh, from Texas, and uh, it's a bunch of old, you know, old pictures, like 83. I think it's like 82 to 84, somewhere around there. But uh, everybody, I mean, it's, we, we all, everybody looked like little fucking kids, you know? Right. It's uh, it's funny, you know, you look back at, at pictures from shows back then, and, you know, I mean, everybody, everybody was super young. Well, you still, you, know? look, you still look pretty great. I mean, do you work out? Do you exercise? You diet? I, I, I don't work out nearly enough. Uh, and I've been definitely, as I've gotten a little older, uh, not work out as much as I, I need to. Um, I definitely need to. Well, and of course now they've closed all the gyms in Southern California. Oh, that's everywhere. I'm sure they did that up north too. Yeah, that's everywhere. Really, so, um, so I, I, I definitely need to work out uh, far more than I do. So everybody's going to get a dose of everybody's going to get a dose of what you went through when you were in prison. Everybody's going to be locked in their cells now. <laughs> that sucks. <laughs> well, okay, okay, you better get your burpees on. Get your burpees yeah. on, and uh, you know, <laughs> do some running in place. You know, read a shit ton of books. Draw right. a bunch. You know, that's yes. uh, that's that's what I did for years. For sure. Yeah. And uh, do, you, do you tattoo? Yeah, and, and, and also, yeah, I do a bunch of bad tattoos. You some know, some guitar string you know, tattoos? And, and uh, an E string and some India <laughs> ink. And, you know, get busy. You know, I, haven't, I haven't been working in a shop down here. Um, you know, I, I still uh, I, I tattoo out of my house. You know, and I haven't been doing it all that much. I've been, I, I really want to get back, back, back up and doing it on the regular, but um, when I moved down here, I help these guys open up this, this rehab that I work at. And so we've been, it's been, it's, it's, we've been swamped. It's been very busy. I bet. Ever since I got down here. And so I haven't had enough time to devote to, uh, to devote to it. But I, uh, I need to, I really, you know, I love, I love tattooing. I'm not, a, you know, the greatest tattoo artist. There's some fucking incredible tattoo artists these days, you know, but, uh, but I, I love doing it. I, I, you know, enjoy it, and uh, and I love making bad, you know, punk rock prison tattoos. <laughs> so I will continue to do it until it's like it's like music. You know, it's like I'll continue to do it until until I can't anymore for whatever reason. Fuck yeah. Well, I'm really honored that you came on today. I'm so happy. It was great talking with you, for sure, Sammy. No, uh, bro. I, I really, I'm the one who's honored that you asked. You know, and. Uh, and I will, um, I will hopefully see you soon, one way or another. Definitely, um, I was hoping and, to. See and it. hopefully, uh, we need to play together again. Yeah, you know, for sure. Uh, we definitely need to do a. We'll make. Uh, well, I'm, show you know, we can, we can do that. But I would say let's 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 go on a. a we should do a tour. Let's do it's it's long overdue. I'm, I'm totally down. You know, that's that's what Fang does now. We don't, you know, we don't play locally that often. But right. We try and just and you know, like go out and play. You know, and play yeah that's what we want to do yeah. too so let's uh we'll, we'll see if nikki's uh down and we'll get a three-way package and let's do it i'm down it'd be great right. well, yeah for sure i mean with this, i think that 
Mickey Sicky has seen Fang more than any other human in the world, and I've seen Verbal Abuse more than any other person in the world because we've toured so much together. That's awesome. How long have you known Nicky? Since we were teenagers. You know, he came out to California. Uh, He was super young when he came out with uh, Legionnaire's disease. He was like 14 or something like that. Mm -hmm. You know, and then then he stayed in San Francisco, so... And we've probably known each other, uh, I don't know, 40 years now, maybe, something like that. Did you, uh, did, yeah. you, did you guys ever play with Sick Pleasure? You know, uh, I saw Sick Pleasure, and I would assume we did at some point, because we were all playing around at that time, but I don't, I don't specifically remember. Right. Um, and, uh, and I... I have to see if there's a flyer. I could ask Nikki. Sometimes his memory is better than mine. Yeah, I was I was talking to him about the Code of Honor six pleasure split, and I, you know, personally, Code of Honor is one of my favorite bands, like of all time. Oh, they were still fucking great, dude. You know, they man. were those guys were like real musicians. Oh yeah, know? like they were totally ahead of the curve with with a lot of us. That they really like they were actual like they they were trained musicians. They were right. far better than the rest of us. I think in a lot of ways. I remember I was talking to Nikki about that, and he's like, "Wow, yeah, you know, I was I was not really down with what Code of Honor was doing, so I was just like, fuck this, I want to do some hardcore shit, and I don't like that music.'" <laughs> so I was like, "All right, so you, you know, I'm gonna start up verbal abuse again." Fuck it. And I was just, that's what he was telling me, because I'm like, you know, I, I got that split. It's one of the best things I've ever had in my life. He's like, "Yeah, well, I'm not really down with Code of Honor." <laughs> I was like, "What the fuck?" <laughs> Uh, you know how he is. He's just so straight up. It was great. I was laughing my ass off. Like one of my favorite bands. He's like, I don't give a shit about that. <laughs> that's totally Nicky. No, that's that, that's definitely true. Like I had that band that was just the way I was like, ah, nah, 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 whatever. You know, like, like, he's always he's like, I got a way better band. Check this band out from Brazil. They're way sick, and it's some way obscure crust band from like '82 or whatever. I'm like, what? <laughs> yeah, he's great. <laughs> But uh, we're going to wrap this up, and uh, thank you. All right, bro. Well, uh, thanks for having me on, and, uh, and and good luck. You know, and, and like I said, let's, let's play together before too long. Fuck yeah. Likewise. All right, everybody. Sammy from Fang. Thanks, bro. All right. Take care. Well, that interview was pretty awesome. It was really deep. It was heavy, man. It was very heavy, and it was realistic, and it was honest, and I, I couldn't thank him more than anything to come on the show and be as real as he was. And, and that's a, it's a very interesting story. I mean, you know, musicians, a lot of musicians live a very dark path and, uh, to come out ahead and, and come out in one piece is pretty phenomenal. So, uh, you know, I, I personally have had my demons. I, I, he was there with me, like, you know, coaching me while I was going through it and some really dark times. So I, I couldn't thank him enough. But uh, that was a really cool thing. And then he had a, good, a couple good points. And one of the points he was talking about was, you know, how in this generation, there's just not enough mutual support. It's just everybody in it for themselves. That's the way I perceive it. It seems to be kind of a running theme, I would say, with, with some of our interviews. With our bands? Yeah. With, well, I mean, it's a running theme amongst just anyone, I think, in music right now is the support support like support and i will i won't say that musician on musician supports dead because we so like obviously like look at look at what you're doing with this podcast look at like 
look at what like going to shows and supporting other bands like when you go to a local show chances are you're just you're seeing majority other musicians watching musicians play well i, well, I go to see yeah. the music i go to support and make sure yeah. that like i can you because know, if you don't then you're going to miss out on some really cool shit exactly and that's the reason why i go is to check out this band you know if i've seen a band a thousand times and i really like the people i'll go just be to just support them and to get out of my house and do something even though that might be banned pretty soon yeah you're not going anywhere <laughs> but yeah you know that's <laughs> what show did you have planned on going to right now i'm Fuck. guarantee you it's canceled and and the, and the main thing is just to get out there and support and, and just be there for my friends and you know I, I do it more than I expect it and I always have you know and I, and I, I go see bands I've never seen before because you never know who's gonna be good sometimes I remember seeing a band that I didn't really like you know I was like this band I've never heard of before they kind of suck and they played one song when I was at the bar and it caught my ear and I was like holy shit this band's sick as fuck ended up being Soundgarden <laughs> you know, that's a, that's the other thing I think people have forgotten is a live performance will completely change your fucking opinion absolutely about a band that you either were apathetic to or didn't even like prior to seeing them right so yeah I think it's just how do you generate that buzz again amongst the non-musician crowds how do you get how do you get people to realize like you're missing out on a hell of an experience well you know supporting when you yeah. support bands you're like hey what are you doing and i'm gonna go check out this band what are you doing oh, i'm gonna stay at home well that sucks for you later i'm going out and having fun exactly and people will just gravitate especially if a band's really good and got a draw because they work very hard they play everything i mean you know when you there was a there was a meme that was out there that was really huge it said don't expect to play this and it's got a a band playing in front of like a hundred couple hundred people and then if you're not ex willing to play this and it's got a band playing in front of the janitor and you know every band that's ever played big arenas or anything all started the same way literally the yep. same way unless they're like a boy band or some manufactured major label crap that you don't even give a shit about so but anyways we're gonna wrap this up Thank you guys all for listening. Uh, we really appreciate your support. If you're listening, like, share, subscribe, follow, and we'll see you next time. Uh, I don't know when that'll be, but I'm sure it'll be sometime. <laughs> Stay safe. Thank you. Have a good night. Bye.